0: Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. But you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. "'The slave does not remain in the house forever. "'The son remains forever. "'For if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. "'I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, "'yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. "'I speak of what I have seen with my father, "'and you do what you have seen from your father.' Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your Father, the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why have you not believed me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. we come to God's Word. We need His help. We need His Spirit to bring it to life, to apply it to our hearts. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank You for revealing Yourself to us through Your Word. Help it to have its full work in our lives. Help us in our weakness to respond in faith. Help us to see Christ, to trust in Him. It's in His name we pray. Amen. As we come to this passage, one main theme really sticks out to me, and that's this idea of misinformation, competing ideologies, competing narratives of the way things are. Jesus has continued to interact with the people in the temple during the Feast of Booths. And we're told at, at the end of our last passage that many people believed in him as he was speaking to them. And, and then here we're told at the first verse in verse 31 That he said these things to those who believed in him, and it begins to beg the question why is there so much division? The people who believed in him, now it almost seems that Jesus is rebuking them. But there's this theme throughout their ability to hear, their ability to understand, the truthfulness of what Jesus has to say. They're all tied up in these competing ideas of what is true. We certainly live in a time of a lot of information, a lot of misinformation. (laughs) A lot of good information, a lot of bad information. There's often competing claims about what is true. Uh, of course, if you're following the news cycle at all, it's, it's all about this uh, coronavirus and how we should respond. Some of that information is probably great. Some of it is probably misleading. I'm not gonna weigh in on what we should do about the coronavirus. But it's an example in which we have these competing ideas of what's true, and the one that we attach ourselves to will particularly affect the way that we live. If we believe this thing, we will certainly be doing these types of activities and not doing them. If we believe that a virus is coming and that we will get sick at church, well, we will either not show up or we will all wear masks and hand sanitizer continuously all the time. And yet, if we believe that we have a distance, that it's nothing to be concerned about, well, then we'll just go on living life as usual. But the point is that the claim that we believe, the truthfulness of the claim will affect the way we live our lives. There's this phrase that I want us to dig into a little bit. It's a, I believe, a little bit of a misinformation phrase that you might be familiar with. Have you ever heard this saying, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. I'm sure you've heard that a million times. i probably even said it. And there's something truthful about that, right? God is one who has entered into a relationship with his people through the covenant. And there's this incarnational reality in Christ coming as a person. Not some distant deistic God who's uninterested in the affairs of people, but one who is intimately involved in all of the workings of our world. But what's missing in this phrase, Christianity isn't religion, it's a relationship, is that even our relationships can be different. In fact, Christianity at its core is a relationship that's rooted in truth. That's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. If we have a relationship that's built on false claims without real understanding, perhaps that would be worse than in no relationship at all. You often hear of a scandalous story of somebody who has been in a long-term relationship, even married to somebody who's living a a separate life, has a second family. What a travesty to have such a relationship built on a falsehood. And so it is with our relationship with God. We are all in relationship with God, whether we're in the church, out of the church, Muslim, Hindu, whatever. We all are in a relationship with God. It's a matter of what that relationship is like. Some of us are under his grace and under his forgiveness. Some of us are in Christ. Others, like all of us, are born into judgment. By nature, children of wrath is what the Bible tells us. So it's not that we don't have a relationship. It just matters on what type of relationship we have. There is no neutral or non-relationship with God. But it is our understanding of that relationship that will affect how we live. The things we will do, the things we will not do. If we believe the idea that our relationship with God doesn't matter if you have an agnostic view, you know, I don't really know about God. Maybe he doesn't really care. That doesn't change the truthfulness of the existence of God and his standard for people in his world. The truth is what matters, and it's the truth that sets us free that Jesus gets to in this passage. Jesus tells these people who have believed in him or told in verse 31 that they must abide in his word. So they believed him. He's been telling them about God being his father and the people needing to trust in him, everything pointing to him. He is the true bread. He is the water of living life, the one who gives the spirit. He is the light of the world. And they believe in him. And so Jesus wants to tell them what believing in him really is must mean he says if you abide in my word what does it mean to abide in the word of jesus we must know because that is how we be how we are told we know that we are truly disciples and that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free it's all tied up in this idea of abiding in god's word John has had different interactions uh, highlighted in his gospel as Jesus goes out and different people believe in him on different levels. Some of them believed because of the signs. Oftentimes, John takes that opportunity to show how a faith rooted only in signs often doesn't last. And here, these people, they didn't necessarily see a sign, but they believed in Jesus as he was speaking, so they had an intellectual assent which is necessary, but Jesus wants them to abide in his word. Not merely hearers, but doers. That his word is going to be the thing that will direct everything that they do. Just as the truth claims we might believe about a particular thing will cause us to do this and not do that, so it is with Christ's word. Abiding in it means it is the truth claim that will direct everything about what we believe, how we live, and our relationship with God. We must abide in his word. And then we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Sometimes it's helpful to think about the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Because it's not always explicitly stated. But apart from Jesus' words, he says here, we have no truth. And apart from the truth, apart from understanding the way things truly are, we remain slaves. And the, the people pick up on this. They say, what do you mean we have to be set free? We aren't slaves to anybody Now, of course, the people of Israel have been enslaved by many people in their history. No doubt, Egypt being the prime example. But throughout their history, they've been taken into captivity, enslaved by other nations. And so maybe what's in mind here is even just the idea that they have true understanding of who God is. They've been able to believe and worship him. They're not enslaved to sin. They have Abraham as their father. Jesus responds to them this way. What kind of slavery are you talking about? He says, truly, truly, this is an emphatic way, this is the way it is. Truth be told, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Biting words for people who are intimately acquainted with the idea of sin, especially these Israelites. Nothing would be more biting than to call somebody a sinner, right? But this idea of being enslaved to sin, it's not only here, but it's also picked up by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. And I think his passage here is very helpful for us as we look at this idea of being enslaved to sin. Here's what Romans chapter 6, verse 17 through 19 says. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching from which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul describes the natural condition of humanity as being slaves to sin, and the the great change that takes place is not that they're no longer slaves, but that they're slaves to something different. They become slaves to righteousness. There's a replacement of that foundational truth claim, the thing that drives their life. Sin used to drive their life, and they acted sinfully. Now, righteousness ought to drive their life, and their actions ought to be righteous. This is the shift that Paul is talking about. Sin causes us to be slaved to it. And yet God calls us to something different. Now, Jesus takes this idea, and he, he's certainly there, the same idea in play. And yet he changes it a little bit. In fact, this comes first, so Paul changes it a little bit. Uh, and it's this, that Jesus doesn't just say that, well, you're a slave to sin and you need to be a slave to righteousness. Jesus goes to a different place. He tells us that a slave does not remain in the house forever. But the sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. This imagery of slavery, we often, as 21st century Americans can't help but think of our own country's history with slavery. That's that's not what's happening here. Instead, the idea that you need to have in mind is more of an indentured servitude. In fact, you can translate this word slave as servant. Somebody who sold themselves into debt so they would have a place to live. Perhaps an opportunity to make money. Living in somebody else's household. Once the debt is paid, once the agreement has ended... The slave, the servant, goes on to whatever else they want to do. Maybe they re-up with that master of the house. And when the master of the house dies, certainly the slaves and the, the servants, they don't get anything. But the son does. See, the son works alongside the servants. He does the same type of work. He runs the tractor on the farm, if you will. But when the father dies... The son is the one who becomes the master of the house. He doesn't ever have the opportunity to just leave. His contract never really ends. He's there forever. He is the one who will inherit everything. And if the one who inherits everything sets you free, you're free indeed. Imagine the scenario where the master of the house has a slave with a huge debt and he's just begun to pay it off and he passes away and the son takes over. The son certainly has it in his ability to release anybody in his household. That's the imagery we're seeing here. Jesus is the son, he has the power to set slaves free. The rest of this passage gets into the way in which people are truly acting. It's related to the idea we've been talking about. He talks about God being his father. They want Abraham to be their father, but he says, you're not even acting like Abraham did. You would be doing the works Abraham did. Do you, know, you guys remember all those works Abraham did? It was one, and this was the work. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham responded to God's word when it came to him, and he came out from his family to follow the word of the Lord. He believed the word of the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteous, and it affected the way he lived his life forever. The way he lived his life isn't how he became righteous believing God placed righteousness on him these people are not listening to Jesus they are not believing his words and so Jesus says you are not sons of Abraham if you were true sons of Abraham I know you are his descendants but if you were truly like him his character his faith would believe me Instead, your father is actually the devil. That's such a nice thing to say, Jesus. What an evangelism strategy. Jesus is trying to tell them the truth. He's trying to tell them the way it truly is. The way they're acting is not like Abraham. Not like the people who embrace the covenant from the heart. Those who have moved from sin to righteousness, who are being driven by the Spirit of God. Instead, they're seeking to kill him. They can't understand truth because their father is the father of lies. All of the character traits that are affiliated with the devil are being displayed by them instead of the character traits of Abraham. The way they're acting is showing who their father truly is They're unable to hear truth. Verse 47 is perhaps the most biting. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. can't understand what I'm saying. You don't believe what I'm saying. You don't abide in my word because you haven't been born of God. You don't have the faith like Abraham did. Tough words from Jesus to those who just believed in him. Tough words for us as we seek to apply it in our day. There's some pretty low-level applications I think we can take from this passage as we think about it. If we, by nature, are slaves to sin, we know what it means to follow after something that is our master. How oftentimes our hearts are drawn to the things we know we ought not to do or when we find ourselves ensnared in an addiction or, or some pattern of unhealthy behavior. It's hard to fight. We don't even want to fight it. And yet, Jesus is calling us to something different, to abide in his word, to have his word be the thing that we are enslaved to. When we are deceived by lies, it causes us to act more sinfully. But when we abide in Jesus' words, it gives us the truth, and we are set free from those lies. It's like you come upon a discovery. You didn't know that you could do that. It sets you free when you have the truth. I think about these people who believed in Jesus, and as he rebukes them, or at least makes it very difficult for them to believe, I think about our, our own hearts, the hearts of many people and in churches, perhaps in our own church even now. We all claim assurance, freedom, justification, and many things. Many times you'll hear somebody share their testimony, and they'll say, I grew up in the church, but I never really believed until my friend brought me to Bible camp, or I went to this Bible study, or something happened. It's a tremendous testimony that they've transferred from hearing and not understanding to having the faith to abide in Christ's word the transition that happens. Even more glorious than that is I grew up in the church and I've always believed. I've always understood. I've always trusted that Christ was the only one who could bring me near to God. Too often, though, we hear stories of people who grew up in the church. Maybe they said they believed. They believed something about Jesus. It never really made sense or it only made sense for a time. I don't know that I believe that anymore. As we think about these words from Jesus, his call to us to abide in his word, we ought to call ourselves and the people around us to not be content to trust in our mere membership in some sort of church. To to think that just by coming here each week, everything's just fine. That just because our children go to Sunday school, that's what salvation means. That by giving, by participating in communion, by hearing God's word, by being a son of the church, a son of Abraham maybe is what they would say, To have faithful parents. These are all the things we latch ourselves onto to help comfort ourselves in our sin. Now, don't mishear me here. It's one of my favorite professors would say don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying those aren't good things. In fact, I can't think of anything more. Necessary for our growth in godliness than to come and to worship together, to hear God's word and to participate in his sacraments. These are the promised means of which he communicates his grace to us. But we ought to not be content with external realities. We must always be driven. By the abiding relationship in Christ's word. Sure, external circumstances may get us by for a time. But Jesus doesn't make it easy. He makes it hard. He says difficult things. Why? Because those who are abiding in his word can hear the truth. And it will drive them deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And those who can't hear his words, well, they'll just be scandalized anyways. And he doesn't want to confuse them about the way things truly are. May God give us the ability to abide in his word, to draw one another into an abiding relationship with God's word, that it might direct everything that we do that we might belong to the Son and that the Son would set us free. Free from our slavery to sin. Free to be in God's presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ bringing the truth into our world, revealing your will to us, and ultimately paying the price for us To have it applied to us. May you help us abide in his word. Help us to become slaves to righteousness. Help us to become free in Christ. Help us to give away the trust we have in external circumstances. And instead to embrace the covenant from the heart.